Hello, and welcome to the Ecom Source Podcast. My name is Andy Solhoff. I'm here with my friend and business partner, Tim McDougal. Tim, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. It's cool here again. Yes. We're not, we're not burning up with heat anymore. Yes. And my car doesn't have air conditioning. It has not for the past three weeks. Oh, the, so the Prius has no air conditioning. That's oh. not just like random banter. That's like really good news. It makes me feel really happy. I feel like, I feel like that's code for something. The Prius has no air conditioning. It has no air conditioning. I've been too busy to bring it in. It's my own fault. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, good topic today, Tim. We got we got somebody special. Do you want to introduce our guest today? Oh, yeah. So it took us 49 episodes, but we have a guest. Um, so on episode 49, which we're talking about vendor versus seller, which would be the Amazon term, or really 1P selling versus 3P selling, which is a very frequent topic we get from people we work with. Uh, we have Dana Bulbin on. And Dana is somebody we worked with for, how long is it, Dana? Uh, at least six years. At least six years, I think. Yes. Yeah. And so, um, Dana, I could go into your background, but it's probably better if you want to go into your background real quick. But do you want to give us the quick, quick synopsis? Because your experience is super relevant to this topic. Yeah. So I have been in e-commerce for about 13 years now. I first started at a multi-channel retailer, which is a term that you do not hear anymore because this was before omni-channel was even coined. Yeah. Um, and we sold home furnishings. So I got some experience with uh, brick and mortar, direct mail, e-commerce, social media. Uh, then I started working at a consumer electronics startup. Um, that was kind of my first foray into Seller Central. And I moved for personal reasons down to South Florida. So I finished up my MBA, moved down there. And I've been at Dino for about seven years. I started in the product development team. And we were behind the eight ball, as a lot of manufacturer wholesalers are when it comes to e-commerce. So I started optimizing Amazon listings. It just took off. And, uh, you know, six or seven years later, we have a whole digital team. We've launched on Amazon Marketplace, Walmart Marketplace, uh, about a dozen dropship channels. And then we support our brick and mortar partners. And we have some weird kind of dinosaur theming in our name for this show, Anikamasaur. So the real reason you're on is just because the company named Dino, you know, we just felt it was a good fit to do something. <laughs> I get that. I get that. I feel like if we did more like content development that was related to the brand, we would definitely create a character, but it just doesn't fit with it doesn't, sewing. It doesn't quite fit. So, so Dino, we should say what Dino, Dino is. Dino is in sewing and sewing, sewing notions and equipment. Yes. Yes. Um, we're the exclusive uh, licensor in North America for Singer Sewing Notions. And then we have another line of business where we manufacture and sell uh, Christmas decor. Well, really all seasonal, but it's mainly Christmas. Yeah. Um, tree skirts, stockings, other tools you'd use to hang Christmas lights. Which has been the fodder for many of our observations about seasonal selling because nothing feels more seasonal than Christmas decorations yeah. um, when you're yes. trying to figure out seasonal sales on Amazon. Yeah. It is a difficult thing to do on Amazon. They're not really built for seasonal. They aren't. And, and the interesting thing is, you know, and, it, and it's not just a little seasonal in this where it's like a little bump in sales when the seasonal parts at its peak, because you have two sides of the business, sewing and the seasonal products, right? When the seasonal parts at its peak, it's bigger than the sewing part. Um, mm -hmm. And that's, you know, for a very brief window and then it goes down. So it's a sizable complication to manage through with that, which is a probably a whole different episode than this one, which is about selling yeah. both as a vendor and as a seller uh, on platforms here. So. I mean, we could have a whole whole episode about dealing with capacity constraints. Would... Oh, oh, yes. Well, there is there is <laughs> a question you about listen forecasting. To all of our episodes, though, because we've talked about how inventory inventory issues are sexy topics on this podcast, so we've gone in depth <laughs> about that. <laughs> and and one of our one of my goals always and every because as everybody knows, Dana and I meet weekly um, with the whole team. Our team and Dana's team meets weekly to kind of cover off on issues. And one of my secret goals each meeting, Dana, is to make you laugh at some point in the meeting, which we just got that for the podcast. So hey, let's, I'll check, check that, that box off. off. All right. <laughs> now, see, now I'm going to be monitoring. I'm yep. Hold my yep. Total transparency. Total <laughs> transparency here. Um, good. So let's first talk about what do we mean by 1P and 3P? Because a, a lot of people listening here may be familiar with that, but some may not. So we should just cover that ground, right? Um, so if you aren't familiar with what it is, uh, 3P 
is where you own the product. That's Amazon Seller. If you're familiar with Amazon, it's Walmart Marketplace. If you're familiar with the Walmart model on it, but you own the product, you sell it. By definition, anything you're selling on a Shopify site is 3P as well. Um, you know, you own the product, you're selling it. Um, I'm sorry, it's not on Shopify. Let me take that back. It's anything in a marketplace that where you're the seller on it. If it's 1P, what we're talking about, that's if you're on Amazon vendor and you're basically a wholesaler selling into Amazon. Or if you're selling to Walmart as a wholesaler and then Walmart's listing it on the platform. So Walmart or Amazon, they buy the inventory from you. They decide pricing. There may be some constraints in that, but usually not. They decide how much they want to support it. They decide if they want to reorder. You're basically the wholesaler and you give it to them. Um, that's the very, very brief synopsis of it. But Dana, what did I miss there in summarizing those? Are this whole matrix built out? Because it's not... It's, it's helpful to think of it as 1P and 3P, but there are so many variations of that, right? Like you have um, drop shipping 1P models and it, yes. it gets very complicated, but you covered it. Yeah. So there, yeah, we're not even going into those <laughs> variants, which we do, we do some of that as well, which is, you know, and I know Andy's built out whole super complex systems for like uh, 1P drop shipping stuff that we do Yeah, um, that are, that are just, you know, it's a lot of technical stuff getting to that but we'll keep it simple to you either own a product you're selling it through the marketplace on amazon for example or you own a product you sold it to amazon vendor and they're going to sell it for you on amazon those are the two different models we're talking about let's talk about because we have a lot of a frequent conversation we have is somebody we we work with who might be and we work with a lot of small to medium-sized businesses that's kind of where our our bread and butter tends to be a lot of times um and a lot of times they'll say hey can you just put me on vendor? I'd rather be on vendor and just sell wholesale. Can you just make that happen, right? And so, first of all, let's let's talk about how do you get on vendor, right? Can you just say I want to be on vendor and magically you're on vendor? Andy, what's the answer to that? I, I think the answer is no, but I, I really want to get Dana's opinion on this. And I don't did did vendor predate your time with Dino, so you didn't you weren't involved in any of that sort of onboarding or how all that came about. Thankfully, I was not involved. <laughs> we've, been, we've been selling to vendor for over 10 years. Yeah, Awesome. Um, no longer. Yeah, it was, it was when we first signed up, I was talking with the person who hired us was the then president of Dino, um, who since has moved on to other things. Moved on pretty quickly into the term after we got hired. And yeah, his take, and, and he would say, hey, we're doing this much and we can grow by this much. And, and I thought he was being wildly unrealistic in how fast he thought the growth and how easy the growth was on vendor. We've actually grown quite a bit faster than his, what I thought were some yeah. wild predictions from him. Um, well, no one was touching it. No one was managing it. Yeah. Um, you know, I think there's this belief that vendor central can be very hands off and, and you can run it that way, but there's a lot more potential if you're actively managing it. Yes. And that was one of the early learnings. So one of the perceptions about vendor is that, it's the one you want to use if you want to be totally hands-off. Mm -hmm. um, and it is less labor-intensive than seller, right? But there's also, you also still have to work it. Um, and that's kind of one of, the, one of the misperceptions and why we see people go and say, I want to be on vendors. Hey, I don't have to do anything anymore, right? They'll buy in at wholesale. I'm done. I can walk away. But we found that if we walk away from it, sales slump and sales slack off and Amazon stops ordering things mysteriously and you don't know why and listings go sideways. Um, and your pricing skyrockets and you yeah, your price goes way up. Yep. Which is interesting because like I'm primarily on the seller side of things. So I'm in my head, I'm going, okay, well when you're managing vendor, you're primarily managing, like at least from our perspective as the agency, we're managing ads, but Dana, what else is going on on your side of things where you're like monitoring all of the things to make sure that vendor stays active? Yeah, I mean, ads are probably the biggest lever that you have for vendor. Um, but I think you want to monitor your top performers, uh, which we'll get into this, I'm sure, but some of them are for us are also on seller. Um, so you want to make sure that those are continuing to sell. You want to check... Um, I mean, you, you basically just want to check how you're trending and make sure that Amazon's ordering enough, uh, which is always a very subjective, um, mm -hmm. just, you know, it's subjective because we don't think Amazon has enough. They do. And um, over the years, Amazon has released more tools to give a little more transparency. Like you can see what I think they 
like you can you have a better sense of the margin they make on a product. I don't think they give you a percentage or a number. I mm-hmm. think or maybe they do give you a percentage now. I can't remember. Um so there are things that you can do. You know, if you have a top seller and you know in your other channels that it should be your top seller and Amazon, it's like number, you know, 10 out of 11 mm-hmm. on vendor, you should look at your margins. You should look at, you know, are there promotions you can run? Um, we're a big fan of the born to run, although it's not called that anymore. What is it called? Tim, do you remember? I don't, I don't even know if I knew that it had changed. I was still calling it born to run, but born yeah. to run for uh-huh. anybody is, is their program where you can say, I'm going to send in, I'll pledge to spend this much in advertising. I'm going to send in this much. And then Amazon says, great, we'll put that on vendor for you. You already have to be a vendor to do this, right? Um, well, cause it's hard to get them to take new products on the vendor, but they'll take a new product on. They'll give it a little extra juice. And then if you don't sell through that allotment, you have to buy some of it back. And it's a little bit punitive, but it's a way to get new products launched on vendor um, without just waiting for them to issue a PO for them, which sometimes you can wait forever and never have it happen. Mm -hmm. Oh, they're called vendor initiated POs now. Okay. Uh, Born to Run is a much better name, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, there were probably copyright issues there. (laughs) Probably a little bit. (laughs) Um, It's a great tool for new launches, but it's also good if you were out of stock of a product for a long time and it came back into stock. It's a way of kind of pinging Amazon and being like, hey, we have this now. Don't forget about it. Um, Or if you think they're not ordering enough, although you need to be careful there because of the whatever agreement you've decided on, you know, do you pay a certain percentage for whatever they have left? So you need to be aware of sell-through rates. You don't want to pledge like a thousand units of something that you've never sold before, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's just not a good decision. You'll end up with too many left. Exactly. So as we go through, there's certain types of products that are just, you know, because, and and not to reveal anything, but with, with Dana's company, it's, it's a hybrid model. So there's some things on seller and some things on vendor and some things on both. Um, and we'll get into that towards the back end of this because that's a that's a newer kind of model. In fact, when we started working together, Dana, that was against terms of service, um, even though we did it and we had to hide it. But we did it because it was more effective to sell that way now. And then at some point we became like a poster child for Amazon on here's how to do a hybrid business the right way. Um, and now they kind of bless this and give courses on how to do hybrid. Uh, there's little <laughs> training modules on how to do hybrid now. But what types of products absolutely just work better on vendor? and and not on seller because there are some yeah um anything like with a low price point so usually for us that's about a ten dollar price point ten dollars or less put it on vendor uh you won't have the unit economics to scale it on seller central yeah doesn't work with fba fees and we follow pretty closely on that on other things we work on too if if you get just the cost of fulfillment if that's four and a half bucks then it's really hard to make money on something under 10. and things like that, you know, for, for, for Dana, for you, it's like spools of thread, things like that, things that are small, right. mm-hmm. um, they would never sell for 10 bucks or more, but you need to, you know, vendor can make it work because they can cheat on their own fulfillment costs. <laughs> right. And and we have like, we have products that retail at CVS for like $3, right? So yeah. Amazon can sell that through vendor. We cannot through seller. Um, and then there are sometimes larger items. Like I know Singer sewing machines. I think they work better on vendor. Um, they're huge. They're bulky. Again, Amazon has the infrastructure to handle that kind of product at a lower cost. And the FBA charges for that would be, they just don't make sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And we should clarify, Singer, the sewing machine company is a different company than Dino, right? Dino has the rights yeah. for everything that's not sewing machines. Just in case anybody from Singer, Singer, the sewing machine company is listening out there, we don't want to misrepresent. Um, but it's every everything else connected with sewing is is goes through Dino on it. So, um, with that, so um, where would you rather be? So, for people out there, when would you rather be a seller as opposed to a vendor on this? What are the advantages of it? When would you rather be a seller? Yeah. When when is the situation better to be on seller than on vendor? So for us, we are you know historically we're a manufacturer, we're a wholesaler, wholesaler. We have products that have been in the market for 40 years that like a UPC that has existed and is still sold in channels for 40 years. So we have a ton of 3P competition. Um, I I think seller is good for that. It allows you to react quickly. 
it does increase your workload, um, right? Like you need to be paying attention. And there are a lot of tools that can help you, help notify you. Um, but you you need to be on top of winning that buy box. And that's yes. where seller can be. Useful. We should go back on the history of this. Is And when we started working with you, it was, it was vendor only at Dino. Mm-hmm. And there was a struggle. One of the first things we did was look and say, because it was, hey, it's vendor. All you got to do is you guys run some ads and it's pretty much, you know, fire and forget. And then, you know, the rest the ads have to be managed, but the rest of it, it's just a wholesale relationship. Don't worry about it too much. It'll grow on its own once you start running ads was kind of some of the mantra that was said from the top at the time. Um, and then we said we got into a couple of situations where we, uh, we went through the product catalog and said, hey, you know, there's some of our top sellers just haven't been ordered in forever, right? We went through that list of like, hey, of, of last year's top sellers, four of them have not been ordered again by vendor at all. Like they've disappeared off of Amazon. It's only third parties coming in undercut that are buying from a distributor that you distribute to that are selling it on there. And in some cases, uh, you know, we thought there was opportunity in there. So that's when, what we launched seller, right? Which we had to sell in, Dana. Remember <laughs> that was, that was a big debate. Um, over whether it's a large yeah. seller or not. I mean, it's a whole new business model. You're talking about going from wholesale to retail. It's mm-hmm. completely different. Well, mm-hmm. and the initial spur was some products that vendor had just, Amazon vendor had decided not to buy anymore, right? For whatever reason, they don't tell you why. They just stopped buying them. They just PO stopped coming. And you don't know really why necessarily. Um, and so we opened up seller just to sell those products, right? That was just and yep. originally it was it was just whatever vendor rejects that we think they rejected unfairly we're going to open up a seller account move it under seller and seller had a different name than dino right um because we were worried about the terms of service thing at the point where you weren't supposed to have both so you came up with creative designs depot where that already existed or something right so that was the seller account i think we had an internal contest the winner got some gift card <laughs> 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 so somebody got a gift card for coming up with Creative Designs Depot. Um, and that became the seller account. And originally that's all we used it for, right? That was the it was the things that vendor didn't order. Mm-hmm. Let's put them on seller. Until we saw a vendor ordering them again. And yes. we were like, what do we do with seller? So the, but that was one of the learnings, right? So one of the learnings we had was that vendor would stop ordering things saying, hey, they weren't selling as much or we weren't making the margin we wanted. And then if you put that same product, if you open a seller account, put that same product out there under seller and it starts moving, all of a sudden vendor says, hey, wait, wait, that was ours. We want to sell that. Here's a PO for it. And so the first aha wasn't, the first aha was realizing that if you can sell something on seller, vendor might come and say, hey, we want that again. And so it was to spur those. The, the, the next aha, and Dana, back me up if I'm wrong on this or something, was that, was that vendor would frequently be out of stock on things too. They just wouldn't, as you mentioned earlier, they don't order fast enough, right? So they would run out. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think they've, you know, they've definitely improved. Um, yes. But yes, they would run out. So, and if, especially once we launched on seller, one of the, um, the biggest lever you probably have on seller is price, right? So by hitting or attempting to hit a more optimal price, you increase the uh, the sales rate. And that caused a lot of volatility because that didn't align with Amazon's historical models. So at least for the first year or so, they were out of stock a lot. Um, and then later on, you had COVID, which had other stock issues. Yeah. And seller becomes a great stock gap. For that you have to be careful you don't want to be holding too much inventory um at you know at fba but for items that are highly volatile you have a lot of players that vendor seller hybrid is great for that yeah so we've used in that case a way to use that hybrid model is backup inventories over at seller plan on vendor taking the buy box but keep a backup supply over on seller in case vendors too slow to order because vendor will often try and keep like one week of inventory in stock and that's it um, as we noticed, and there, that means they're going to go out a lot. So if you have seller stock, that 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 SKU is not going to go out of stock, and you're not going to lose brand rank. And that was one of the things we noticed is we were losing brand rank whenever it went out of stock. But if we kept seller there, even if we kept seller at a slightly higher price than vendor, it would be there to sell when vendor went out. And we wouldn't lose rank as much. The other part that that we use it, Dan, can prompt this too, is that 
oftentimes vendor would raise the price ridiculously up on it. We'd have a top selling, say a, a scissors that sold for ten ninety nine. that all of a sudden we'd look and say, why are sales down? Oh wait, vendor has that price now at seventeen ninety nine. In fact, that happened yep. last week. They still do this. This <laughs> happened last week. On, that was one of the biggest swings on last week's numbers, right? Was something like that just happened. Um, and so, yeah. The, yeah, go ahead. No, it, yeah, it's interesting. That is a, one of the reasons we we started or we kept doing seller that way. Uh, in an ideal world, you would have items either on seller, either on vendor. You know, pricing would always be at the optimal point. But that's not the reality. <laughs> yes. um, but when we're developing new products, we do typically look, typically think, okay, is this vendor or is this seller? Um, for whatever reason, I think it's more those legacy products that have a ton of other third-party sellers. That pricing just goes all over the place. Yes. So we've had two ways to use the hybrid well. One is backup inventory. The other one is a, as a price anchor, we've called it, right? So here's the... We're going to keep this at a certain price, even though it might be slightly higher than vendor. But in case vendor decides to double price overnight, which vendor does all the time, um, it could be that they were launching an Amazon Basics line. It could be that they just wanted to sell something else for a little bit. It could be they're trying to hit profit goals internally. But when they did that, then we we didn't want to see sales die down and see brand rank drop. So we'd have a backup supply um, and, and have the anchor pricing set so that it wouldn't be priced so high that consumers... You know, that's that's not backup inventory because the inventory is still there. It's just priced so high that people would not buy. Um, the other there was a um, the other way we've been using the hybrid model. Dan, I think you were starting to lean into this. Um, is when we do it, we we often do uh, vendor first, but then a multi pack right at the mm -hmm. seller side. Yes, we that's how we've been approaching it. Which obviously for us, if you're selling products under ten dollars, that's the way to go have your what we call our core catalog on vendor do bundles and multi-packs on seller get a higher average order value it also allows you to grow your catalog which is probably the fastest way to see sales grow mm -hmm. um not always the most efficient or the best long term um and you can target different different customer segments there are a lot of people who buy um for small businesses. They don't all have an Amazon business account, but they want those higher multi-packs. And we're able to to target them, get a lot of repeat customers. So it's just, it's a win-win. Yeah. So the thing when you were talking about that, that kind of was in my mind is that the vendor model that you're using is very much, very in line with uh, all of your case packing for regular wholesale. So if you're selling to Walmart, brick and mortar retailer, other retailers, that that product mix in your vendor account seems to be really on brand or on in align with that sort of distribution model versus the seller, it, like you said originally, was that's a whole that's a completely different business, right? So that yeah. that part is is definitely a, unique. Is that how you do the product development as well as as you're thinking of products? You said this is vendor or this is seller, or is that does that go beyond that? It we definitely take it into consideration. Um, it I guess it kind of depends on why is this product being created, right? Sometimes we will create products that are just for Amazon. They're Amazon exclusives. Other times we, our product development team will have a new launch of, you know, five, 10 products. And if, right, if we want these products to be in the bigger market, you know, in our brick and mortar, then we probably need to put it on vendor central just mm -hmm. because of packaging issues. And we create a variation um, that has maybe a little something extra or is a different color. Amazon. Yeah, you're touching on something there that I would love to dig deeper into is is the brick and mortar versus a, you know Walmart marketplace versus Amazon vendor versus Amazon seller versus et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's how do you how do you keep that all straight? How do you do the product development for that product launches? The whole the whole bang there. Um. Keeping it straight is is a challenge. I'd like to say we have it all figured out, but it's a lot of spreadsheets. You know, every every retailer has a different portal, different ways of keeping track. Um, so, like once you're maintaining maintaining a catalog, we rely heavily on our account managers, on our ERP. Um, we use Monday.com to help us, you know, help with communication. Um, but when we're figuring it out, 
it's a very collaborative process. We want everyone involved. Um, you know, let's let's talk about like the when product development comes to us and they say, here are five items we're launching for 2024. Um, they present them. We all think about them. And then we have the account managers. We have our inventory manager, our merchandiser who handles content as well, along with product development. And sometimes the sales manager for the brick and mortar accounts, all in that conversation about where do these items go? Um, we streamline it, right? Like we all come with suggestions and then we vet them um, because otherwise those conversations could take days. But it has to be a collaborative process because otherwise you end up ignoring factors like capacity constraints at our, at our warehouse. Um, or if something was promised to a specific retailer, you know, you just, you need to include everyone on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it definitely is one of the things as the business on the smaller end of the spectrum, you're looking at, okay, well, you've got these unique products and we're trying to create differentiated catalogs and, and, uh, definitely understand what you mean by, you want to get everybody's voice at the, at the table, but you know, I don't I was I was hoping that there was like this. You, oh well, we do it this way, and it's just this magical way that all this stuff. Works I've seen out. the I mean, spreadsheets, Andy. I've seen magical spreadsheets. spreadsheets. <laughs> there are spreadsheets. There are, you know, we. I, I do think we rely on that, like our core catalog items. You know, go on Vendor Central, or they go on Walmart, and they're in store. And then, like, we have rules that we play by, but there are going to be exceptions to those rules. You will see a product listed everywhere because it's one of our top products and um we've magically gotten amazon and walmart to avoid a price war um but the biggest thing though is differentiation between amazon and walmart because you will see the biggest price wars between those two channels yeah let's 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 dive into that for a second um because that's why and oftentimes it's very minor differentiations in the product but you make sure that Walmart and Amazon don't have exactly the same thing. We learned this early on because Good. what happens when they had exactly the same thing? Um, they would get into a price war, then you see the price drop for both. And I, I, you know, from one of the early examples, like a sewing basket that was on both, Walmart would mm -hmm. undercut Amazon on price just to drive Amazon crazy. Amazon would match. They would both go super low. We'd see a ton of sales, and an Amazon vendor would say, we can no longer order that. It's off our catalog because we can't make money on it anymore. Yes. We, I think we offered like an in-store promotion and that pricing translated to online somehow for Walmart. And it just, we, I mean, one of our best sellers crapped out and that is a technical term. Can't realize <laughs> yep. the profit. <laughs> yep. Can't really profit. It is, it, Amazon uses that in their seminars, crapped out, this product crapped out yep. on the vendor side specifically. They don't, on you don't the see it on yes. seller, but yeah. No, because you can detect that. Why, um, why didn't you reorder this? It crapped out. And that's yeah. exactly what they say. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, that was a really tough thing to learn with one of your best sellers. Um, our initial strategy was product differentiation just by the UPC, but now they price matched using image recognition. So that's fun. Yeah. So the initial <laughs> strategy of just getting a different UPC does not work because they will find it and they will have, they have the, one of the first things they did with their AI was use it for image recognition. Even if you shot different angles, because we even tried, like shooting different angles, mm -hmm. not getting the same shots, mm -hmm. they could figure out that this one that you shot from like this top-down angle and this thing that you're shooting from a corner on the side, those were actually the same product. And they had different UPCs and different SKUs. Yeah. Amazon would figure out they were the same product and go to war on them. Um, yeah. And you see it with other channels like Home Depot, Lowe's, Target. I think we've seen it. But Walmart is the one who's going to be aggressive back, mm -hmm. right? Like. Amazon will take action based on Home Depot and Lowe's and them, but Walmart will take action on Amazon. Yeah. And Walmart, we know, right. We'll go, they'll sell things at a loss just to mess with Amazon at points. <laughs> uh, it's like somebody's little brother who is just, you know, like, <laughs> I don't care if I get us all in trouble, I'm going to cause some trouble with mom. And that's what happens with that. But um, yeah. It, so, so that's, you know, differentiating the catalog. Now, how is that different from when, you were first in those conversations. That's just the role. I mean, the it was, um, and I want to say, did you even have a seat at the table early on when Amazon, when e-commerce was a much, was like a side project or a side hustle to the business? 
Um, when we first started, it was, we were definitely looking at a subset of products, right? We weren't going to create anything for Amazon at the time where it was like 2% of our talk. annual revenue or something. I'm just throwing out that number. Yeah, the yeah. point is it was so, um, but, uh, like I said, like Amazon, when you actively management, the potential there is huge. And I think we quickly realized that we quickly realized, um, especially once we got into seller central and the unit economics, um, your, your margin dollars are so much greater per unit, at least for our products. Well, true for everyone. Um, you know, I was able to get a seat at the table. Our product strategy changed and I give, you know, I give a lot of credit to our senior leadership team. They put digital and e-commerce first, um, coming in. It was, you know, I started at Dino seven years ago. It, felt like a very different company. There is now, there's rarely any new initiative we take now that doesn't have a digital component or at least, or we at least get thought to, will this impact digital? How can digital help? Um, it's been a huge transformation. It's been great to see. Dimmer, when I first started working with you guys, it was, it was, we don't really have anybody on it. Oh, we have this one, this one woman and she knows computer stuff. So she can probably help out. You, she, you can have her as a contact. That was, that was the first meeting. Um, yeah. And that was the then president of the company saying, I can step in once in a while, but she might be the day-to-day. Right. So that was the yeah. very start of it. Now you have a whole team, right? Now you're, now you're running yeah. a whole, you're, now you're running a whole department on it. Yeah. We, we I have uh, five direct reports. So we're a six person team. I think that's right. Um, and, you know, we've, we're a smaller company. So we've been able to be very fluid in the way that we structure our team, which is great because like pre-COVID, inventory management was much more straightforward for us as a company. Um, you know, our, our product strategies have, have grown in their sophistication, but also supply chains have become more complicated. So, you know, being able to shift some talent over to inventory management has been great. Um, so it's it's myself. Um, titles director of digital commerce uh we have an omni-channel account manager an inventory manager a digital merchandiser slash content coordinator um and a part-time customer service um, specialist so um you know and as as the team like i said as the team grows there's opportunity for growth it's just it's very fluid well i knew things were changing there when Keith, who's your fantastic head of sales, right? Uh, yes. Senior yeah. leadership, senior leadership yeah. team. Um, but Keith called me and because we issue a report every week that says kind of here's where things are going, here's where things are projected to go and kind of highlights different things. A report that I write that's way too long every week, but everybody, <laughs> everybody's humors me and reads most of it. But I like Easter eggs. Every once in a while. <laughs> I, I do hide things in there to see if people are reading them once in a while. Yes. Um, but Keith called and said, and said, these numbers aren't right are they i'm not i'm reading this chart wrong right and i said i said what chart and he pointed the chart and it was it was a chart that said here's the monthly sales of date and what it projects out to be for the month for different categories and i was like what do you think you're reading wrong and he goes well it says you know x number of dollars we're expected to sell this month i go yeah that's pretty much a, it's you know not the most sophisticated projection i thought he's questioning how sophisticated my projection was because all <laughs> i did was say hey we've had 14 days this month there's 31 days in the month that means we'd sell roughly x right and his thing was was no, I had no idea that it was this size. Right. We have to pay more attention to this. Um, that was his like, really? It's really that size. Somebody can verify mm -hmm. that for me. Right? <laughs> 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 uh, but he's great. Uh, so there was another part in here where when we did some of the pre-show notes, Danny, you were talking about the difference in profitability. Um, and mm -hmm. different people, I, I was, I, you had a different take than I've seen from some other folks in that, which I thought was really good. So between seller and vendor, and I think your take's dead on, but that's why I wanted to bring it up. The the difference in profitability between the two. Yes. Um, so I'm just looking over my notes. Um, yeah, it all comes down to unit economics. Um, it's which is basically a mix of three factors. You have your product cost, your retail price, and your product size. Um, and we're talking just Amazon here when you're looking at FBA versus vendor central. The product size is huge. If you can get something small and flat, you are golden. 
Um, Seller Central often has higher margin dollars, but Vendor Central has higher margin percentages because your basis is much lower because of the wholesale cost. And really, margin dollars should be what matters, right? Because you earn yes. revenue, you don't earn percentages of revenue. Um, but if you're looking at your P&Ls and you're comparing them to traditional wholesale margins, you're going to need to readjust your expectations. And this this has been a big, um, I don't want to say issue, but but a, a bigger focus than I anticipated, um, especially when we get our finance team involved and we're comparing year over year growth rates. And it's like, okay, take a step back. Like that small little margin is so much more efficient from a unit perspective than our wholesale model. No, and that's dead on. I mean, we, we, we have actually had like whole podcasts about this very topic, right? So that's why I kind of read perfect because we get frequently the conversations because we'll often work with companies that they've sold mostly in a wholesale arrangement. Somehow Dino did, right? And now this is a direct-to-consumer thing, which is different. And the conversation, because, and there's a couple of companies that, that we joke that I go to, I go to meetings with their finance team every six months to kind of reset this. Uh, but where they'll say, well, look, I should just sell wholesale only because my margin on wholesale is X, right? And my margin on the seller stuff where I'm selling direct consumer is Y and it's a lot lower. And it's, and it's like, well, let's back off again. You're selling that product for 20 bucks to the consumer. You're selling it for five and a half dollars to the wholesaler or six dollars to the wholesaler so yeah you're making a higher percentage but it's a higher percentage of six versus a lower percentage of 20 and the reality is is what's the dollars that come through on the on the back end like are your dollars right. greater or lesser and having to have that and that's a repeated conversation and we work with a lot of really smart people it's not that's not like anybody's like mentally deficient because they have that that that, that <laughs> problem to work through at all it's more of your brain becomes so attuned to in an organization where everything's wholesale of just thinking on everything. Those math things are so automatic that when right, somebody throws a weird DT uh, direct to consumer, like you're selling, like your top line is the consumer retail price, not the wholesale price. Just trying to adjust brains around that is, is really difficult at times. And it can be a real challenge internally, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think every company has in their mind a, uh, a margin threshold, right? We need to hit this, or this is the minimum we can sell a product at, but you need to reset that. And one of the things I did when we were first setting out is anytime we proposed an item on Seller Central, I made sure to highlight the margin dollars per unit, which is not something we typically call out in our other wholesale reporting because it's, you it's know, percentages, right? Yeah. yeah. Um. No, we just found that yeah. to be so true among a lot. And a lot of business we're working with, they're not doing a vendor-seller hybrid like, like you know, we're talking about here, but they're selling to wholesalers and then selling as a seller on Amazon. And yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think it's important to look at your retail sales and look at your wholesale sales, like almost have two different P&Ls. Obviously, they don't exist in separate bubbles, right? It's an ecosystem. Even if we're not talking yes. with Amazon, you're going to have... Um, interaction effects, but, uh, but you need to model out both and you need to track both separately. Cause if you start combining them, your, your margin trends are, they're not going to make sense. No. And we, that's a, it's a discussion we just had ended up having all the time. And it's a really valuable discussion. In fact, I think Andy, we had our, our infamous episode where we tried to do math for the entire episode Yep, and try to describe, <laughs> create theater of the mind for math. Like, like you can't see the spreadsheet, but we're going to describe this spreadsheet to you because it's really important to it's us. A very popular episode in 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 spite of it all, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. There's just it's a it's a very different way of thinking about the business, like we talk about, and and uh, so it's always interesting. We went to through get unit there. economics of vendor versus seller versus selling on your Shopify site. It's what we did on that because there's also differences there. When you started looking at. Hey, you took unit economics to a whole other level, right? You started laying in advertising costs yes. and all of that. And that yeah. was really in-depth book. Yeah, which, which I'm redoing for you at this point right now because we ran into this thing of trying to, how do we allocate uh, inventory cost as we're running into that uh, incorrectly. Um, and it's a trick I still haven't figured out yet, but we will figure it out. Um, let's talk, because we're running, um, we're kind of nearing, nearing our time a little bit, but I want to, one big thing to sum up here 
um, that we haven't really talked about is there's a difference. So you talked about profitability, right? And that the perception is always that vendors more profitable and in which case, but in many cases on a per unit basis, we found that seller is more profitable actually when you actually work it down, not on a percent, but on a dollars per unit sold seller ends up being more profitable a lot of the times, but there's also like, there's a risk versus control trade-off you're making in vendor and seller, right? Or, or risk, risk and control versus how much work do you have to put in, I guess is where the trade-off comes. So. Yeah. Trade-off and scale. Um, Good. Yeah. Yeah. Seller central, you, you need more resources. You, you, first of all, you have more risk, right? Like you own the product, you're sitting on the product, you need to move it and you need the resources to put behind it. Um, everything from advertising to uh, review seating uh, um, before you launch. Um, and I lost my train of thought. Well, you have, to, you have to do a lot more merchandising. So you have to put it. Right. I mean, yeah. if you were just doing vendor, you wouldn't need a team as big as you have. No, probably not. Um, there's just a lot more complexity on mm-hmm. seller. For the uninitiated on vendor, what do you provide to vendor? You provide them a, basically a, a product, you give them a photo that give them the product and they yeah, take and care of it all? They, go, they create the listing. Yeah, you yeah. Create, give them a spreadsheet, right? So Spreadsheet, give them some photos. It's better when you create the listing. Yeah. Um, yeah, there, there's just a lot more that you need and a lot more to pay attention to on Seller Central. Um, you know, Amazon can rely on their own algorithms. As a seller, you need to make sure you're on top of your game or have the right software in place to to get you there. Yeah. For example, on vendor, we're not looking at pricing every week on vendor. I mean, mm-hmm. we may look at it, but it's Amazon controls it. We can't influence it. On mm-hmm. seller, we're looking at price every week. Like, okay, did a third party undercut us? Did we lose some buy boxes? Where's vendor? If vendor's selling something similar compared to us. So managing pricing all of a sudden becomes a real thing you have to do on seller that uh, if it's on vendor, you kind of let Amazon handle it and they may not handle it really well all the time, but it's theirs to handle. And that's why you have a seller backup on it anyway. Yeah. That's why we have, that's why we decided to put a seller backup on it because they don't always do well with it. But on the listing, I think any listing that we've done from a seller standpoint beats the pants off of any listing that Amazon has done from a vendor standpoint. Generally, the headlines are more in depth, are better, are better explanations of what the product is. They're longer. They're always longer. I mean, Amazon's vendor headlines tend to be 80 characters and, and if a seller creates it, they're pushing right up against the character limit and it's, you know, mm-hmm. a couple of times longer than that. Um, and the bullet point descriptions are more detailed if you're a seller and the photos are more detailed if you're a seller doing it well. So you, you have more control. And Danny, you were saying you have more risk because you have inventory, but there's also a counter risk, right, of vendor can just say, eh, I, I'm not, we're not going to send any more POs out. You're dead in the water. You're done. Very different type of risk. Yes. Yeah. You have higher carrying costs for seller, but you have so much more uncertain uncertainty on vendor. Um, but vendor can get you the scale that sometimes you can't get with We've seller. We've seen things, yeah. When vendor gets behind something, it sells far beyond what we can do on seller oftentimes. Like mm-hmm. when it gets behind something and it really rolls, it really rolls. Um and so, yeah, I don't want to don't want to come out against vendor on it. Vendor, when vendor, when things are right on vendor, they're really, really right. And then they can just yeah, they can and, shut off the and faucet. Partly why we're okay putting our lower price items on on vendor, right? It's it's a volume play. It's not not as much margin focused. Yeah. And so there's the risk trade off, but there's also you just have much more control on seller. So that control, but you got to spend the time working it to take advantage of that control, right? So there's that trade off too. Control and um, like portfolio expansion, catalog expansion is, I I mean, you you can submit one of those born to runs or whatever they're called now on vendor, but they won't always accept it. And they won't put the same backing behind it that you can put behind. And then you're double investing if you're also going to ha- run inbound traffic yes. for a vendor listing. Um, so there's just much more oppor- opportunity from that perspective on seller. Yeah. And I, I'd say things that, because uh, we've had some interesting conversations with vendor reps about multi-packs, for example. Or multi-packs just are, sometimes that's the best thing for a customer and the best thing for sales. And it's just not something that vendors used to wrapping their head around. They've had, we've had many conversations actually with vendor representatives about multi-packs and how that works. 
or bundles of like, I'm going to take a couple different products that aren't the same. I'm going to bundle them together and create a better value for the customer too, because I can save on shipping costs if I do that. Mm-hmm. And so there's, yeah, those are things that are, again, it's extra resources and time from at, for a seller, but it's something that you just can't do on vendor either. So it's, yeah. it's more, you will, it, can you get a return on the time you can put into it? It's part of what, what, the math is on mm-hmm. whether seller is going to be advantageous versus vendor in a situation like that. Yeah, definitely. Well, and that kind of brings us to, you know, sometimes people want to put everything up on Amazon. Well, that's not really, I mean, I don't know about you. I don't have unlimited time and resources. If yes. I try to put everything up there, it's all going to fail. You really need to be strategic because it needs that investment behind it. No, and you had one of the things on your notes of, uh, I can't remember where the note was on it, but I replied yes exactly on it. And that's where it was talking about how, um, you know, we've had a lot of people that we work with that say, hey, we want to get on Amazon because we have these products on our website that don't sell well. So we want to unload them through Amazon. And it's the, yep. what makes you think if it's not selling well in your store <laughs> where it's only your products and you're getting traffic there that we're going to put it on Amazon where it's going to get compared to a ton of different products. What makes you think it's going to sell there? Um, yeah. Because it's absolutely not going to work. On Amazon, if it if you can't if you can get traffic to it, doesn't convert on your own site, right? But we get a frequent misperception as well. That's where we can all our overstock. We can just unload it on Amazon. All our unpopular colors and styles we can unload on Amazon, <laughs> endless, right? Endless aisle, right? It's endless yes. aisle. You can put anything. The endless on, aisle. Put everything on. It is an endless aisle, but that means you got to stand out. You can't just. <laughs> you can put things. You can put anything on it, but it might just sit. Doesn't mean it's going to move. At right. all in that. Um, Payment terms. Let's talk quickly about payment terms. You had a note about payment terms in there too that I thought was good. Um, you're talking about like one P paying out 30, 60, 90 days yes. cash flow. Um, yeah, it's definitely something to consider. Uh, we have the benefit of being part of a larger company. Um, one P or sorry. Yeah, Amazon isn't our you know, it, it's a sizable portion of our business, but it's not our bread and butter. So it we haven't yeah. So if Amazon different. vendors payments are delayed by 90 days, it doesn't mean that you can't make payroll because that's the main right. source they're of not, revenue. Yeah. They're not happy, but yes. it's not, uh, it's not a dire well, I've situation. I've heard from your accounting team. I know when they're not happy. <laughs> um, but v- seller pays out, you know, not, uh, it's quicker than that. It's not immediately, but it's, you know, you sell something and every 14 days they kind of pay through and they usually keep about 14 days in hand. So seller, mm-hmm. if you're, if it's a cash flow issue, Sellers a little more friendly, although you yeah. are sticking your money in inventory. You are buying inventory up front and sitting on the inventory. So your cash, right. you might but be sitting you, on 90 day cost of inventory before you can move it too. So there is something you just, I just, you just triggered something. So, right. Amazon 1P has delayed payment terms, 30, 60, 90 days, et cetera. But they also have the right to withhold for chargebacks and shortages. Yes. And you need to dispute that. So I know we were talking about vendor needing fewer resources um, than seller. And and it's I still stand by that, especially from a marketing perspective. But your back end still it, there's way more of that. You need to be constantly disputing those chargebacks and it can take like five or six um, disputes. The back end is your- more complex on that as I've waited into it at times, like the chargebacks and the debates over the POs as much of Amazon saying we didn't get this one. We got you know, there's 20 items on your PO. We got 18 of them. We don't think we got these two. Well, we think we sent them. And then just and the you, whole disputes yeah. over those. And that's much more time consuming than seller. Yeah. You get, you get dinged twice though, if you ship something incorrectly because you committed to something and they don't have it. And then there's something unexpected yep. somewhere else. And it's, yeah, it's messy. You need to be really organized. Okay. What topic should we hit here? Cause we're running long. So what, what, is there anything else that we should throw in at the end on this? The last question, we'll throw this out. What are things that we're doing on vendor or seller now that we didn't think we'd be doing 18 months ago? The podcast. Podcast about it. <laughs> didn't think that at all. This podcast isn't 18 months old. So yeah, um, we're almost a year, but we're not 18 months. Yeah. Um, so then you, you brought up video, uh, video and live streaming. It's, you know, something that we have not been able to spend as much time on as I would have liked, but we're definitely doing more than I thought we would be doing. Um, going you back just to got just got done doing back. a video shoot. You were out, out, out 
two weeks ago doing yeah, a video yeah, shoot, right? Yeah, yeah, for our, our no letter product. Yeah, exactly. Which, which so, a year or two ago for uh, Dino doing video shoots, I would have thought that's never going to happen. So, no, that yes, exactly. I mean, you're completely right. But I'd love to, you know, have a much more. I mean, I work remote now, so it's not realistic, but I'd love to have like an in-house studio where I'm like, oh, I want to shoot something. Let's do it. And it's done. No, videos for us right now take months to plan and execute. Yes. Um, but the other thing that's taking a lot of time for me, we're trying to relaunch our Vendor Central Canada account. And the EDI setup is is just a mess, which makes no sense because it's an exact copy of U.S. And that's set up correctly. It's been working correctly. So, with one exception, it's, just, it's Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same. Um, it's just nothing with Amazon ever goes as planned. No, ever. no, especially on the vendor side. I've, I, nothing with seller goes as planned either. But on the vendor side, the, it's more mysterious how to fix sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but I had this. That was my comment too. Was on the video part of it. Was I did not think. And even I'm trying to look at the future of these things that they wrote, but I didn't predict that Amazon would be moving to video as much as it has, both on mm-hmm. listings, especially on mobile, if you do the mobile experience now, um, which is how most consumers encounter Amazon, by the way, is on mobile. Um, yeah. Just the amount of video they have on there now and the preference that people who have provided video content for advertising, the preference they get. Um, and we were talking last podcast or podcast before about how meta just came out to all its agencies and kind of the, the secret session that, you know, after their main session and said, by the way, short video is what's going to get your ads at the top of the top of the feed because we're trying to compete with TikTok. So just do a lot more short video and that's your secret formula to win. Um, but Amazon's, you know, and Amazon's not meta at all, but the preference, if you have video on there, the preference you get in that mobile scroll is very real right now. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, Dana, I really want to thank you for being on the podcast today. I know that's not at the, probably the top of everybody's uh, to-do list to want to jump on a podcast, but we really appreciate you joining us and sharing your insights uh, from your time at, at Dino and, and beyond. So, so thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It's been a lot of fun. No, this is great. This is great. Yep. And uh, we, again, we want to thank our listeners. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to push that like, follow, subscribe button, check us out. And we will catch you again next time.